In the adaptation of Charles Frazier's bestseller, Cold Mountain, the character Inman remarks, I imagine God is weary of being called down on both sides of an argument. Hello, this is Todd Littleton with Pathological, the podcast for the pastor theologian. We're a podcast that explores the intersection of life, faith, and thinking theologically. Today on the podcast, we continue our series of conversations with Brad Mason, uh, at also a carpenter on Twitter, still thinking that's the best handle ever. And we pick up today, well, we pick up where we left off in our previous episode where I was just exposing or revealing or confessing to my own difficulties coming to terms with how race is a social construct, only to learn in the process that there are those who are critical of critical race theory, opponents, if you will, adversaries, and then, of course, those who have been writing and, and uh, developing the very ideas that are classified or, or codified as critical race theory, and they agree. That is, they agree. They agree that race is a social construct, and that's where things go downhill. That is exactly... Um, how do they differ in this particular uh, realization? It's been an important discovery for me, and uh, hopefully it will be for you. I'm always indebted to those who have written more, read more, learned more, to help us always to understand more. Recently, uh, my, our associate pastor at our church sent me a, a quote from a, a book he's reading, Essentially, it was a description that said, you know, everyone is entitled to their own opinion, but if you're entitled to your opinion, catch this opinion, then you ought to be willing to have your mind changed with more information and a better understanding. Stridency is not a spiritual gift, particularly when we're talking about our opinions about things that we don't really know as much as we pretend. I'm no pretender. I don't know everything about this subject, and that's why we're having these conversations. Hopefully, they're a benefit to you. Stay tuned on the other side, where we'll have uh, some uh, announcements about what's coming, as well as just a reminder of the ways that you can share and support the podcast. Here's my conversation with Brad Mason. And in our uh, ongoing conversations about uh, critical race theory and intersectionality and everything related, I'm glad to have uh, Brad Mason back with me today. Good to see you, Brad. Yeah, good to see you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Hey, you know, um, when we left off last time, I was, I was, I was doing sort of a, a, a confessional, you know, where uh, my friend Alan and I uh, have had these conversations about race racism. And he was a pastor in Montgomery for about 15 years. And he did tours, educational tours. He was a history mi- uh, major and taught uh, before going into ministry. And I, I always had a hard time getting my mind around the idea that uh, race was a social construct. I just hadn't thought about it uh, deeply enough. And then, and, then, and then the more he and I talked about it, and then when I began to look uh, more closely at uh, critical race what was being said about race, and even what opponents of critical race theory said that, oh, hey, don't you know that race is a social construct? So now right. we've got we've got people on both sides agreeing to that point, uh, but coming up with wildly different ways that that is important. So why don't you why don't you jump from there and and talk about the ways that. Um, or the differences between seeing race as, say, a, a biological or reductionist sort of position over against it being a, a social construct and all that that goes with that. Right. Right. Yeah. And that and that's I think that's central to the idea of critical race theory. In my opinion, we talked before about sort of approaching it historically or as a narrative or this kind of analytical approach. I think that there is kind of a uh, a central logic, in a sense, built around this idea of what is race, right? There's mm-hmm. a lot of consequences that just come from determining what race actually is, not what we want it be to be or, or what pseudoscience has said it is, but what, what it actually is and how it actually functions in society. So on the one hand, we've talked about before, you have uh, biological or essential conceptions of race. And, and I think kind of the 
The easiest way for me to explain that is that that makes race something that exists in the world, regardless if, if there were a society, right? Or, or if groups of people even talked about it, it would just still exist. That's what we mean by essential. Or another way to say it biologically, it's something you carry around in your body, right? Would be a biological conception of race. And the only reason I put it in those terms is just to weed out a lot of different alternatives because we can say, oh, it's not genetic and that's important, right? But someone can easily respond, well, it doesn't have to be you know, a gene code in order for race to be biological. But so I'm just trying to carve out that, that whole idea that, that race is in you, you inherit it from somebody, from your parents, you're born a specific race, or that race ex exists in a sense apart from minds or society would be the essentialist or biological approach. And what's interesting about that is in the past, obviously the biological race idea was constructed, right? Built um, in order to uh, create hierarchy. So, so that you could say, well, there are either uh, different races, almost like different species. And of course, then we can order them by most advanced and least advanced. Or you could say that there are different races because of uh, degradations based upon environment or, but, but any of those forms are explanations of biology in the past, uh, biological race in the past were amenable to saying there's higher and lower, right? That's pretty much why it was created. And it would logically function that way, right? I mean, if, if one group diverged from another, then you could rightly make a comparison, right? About sure. abilities, intellect, uh, sure. all of those things, right? So it does open the door for that. So in the past, so let me let me let me interrupt you real quick, because yeah. I think I think one way uh, I'm I've been trying to think through what was my resistance uh, to the idea, and and I think that what you're helping me see here is that rather than rather than view it as a, the means to develop hierarchy, I was thinking of it in terms of explaining difference. And I and, and so I think there'll be some people who would want to say, well, there's got to be a way to explain the difference. But what, what you said last time has has, mm -hmm. has lingered with me that because there is no genetic coding for color, for 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 race. Right. Um, that changes the entire outlook to say, oh, I've been complicit in utilizing a. Um, a way to talk about race that actually continues to instantiate the problem. So right. I wanted to, I'm going to interrupt you just long enough so that if some people are, were maybe tracking with something I had been thinking about, I wasn't thinking about it in terms of an explanation of hierarchy. I was looking at it as an explanation for difference and that then it right. got seized on, but I was actually creating the very place for that. Right. Yeah, no. So I agree. So I was just walking, sorry, there was a doorbell. Oh, no problem, no problem, no problem. Um, I was just walking down the path. I wasn't implying that that was your position. No, 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 no. I, okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, wa yeah. I, wanted, I, wanted, I wanted folks to kind of see that, that we can all kind of be in a place where we think we're talking about a thing in a right. particular way and don't discover the way it gets leveraged uh, right. to support the subordination of other groups. Right. Yeah. So that's, I'm kind of just going to throw out that biological side and then just point out that, so that, that's how it was traditionally used, right? Mm -hmm. Then we come through the, uh, the era of um, the um, civil rights movement, mm -hmm. right? And those legal changes and sort of that retrenchment movement into colorblindness that we had talked about before. Right. So, so now then biological race becomes, doesn't go away. Right. right, but but we take it to mean that it doesn't mean anyone's different, right? We all have the same source. We all come from Adam, or we're one race, even though we're different races. Um, so so what kind of happens in the post civil rights era, and especially within the law, is that race continues to sort of be biological. But now we would say something like it's a matter of skin color, right? Mm -hmm. Or it's a matter of of ancestry. Right. And so so race, again, is now treated essentialist and it is treated biologically, even if you can't locate that specifically. But so what that 
has allowed then the courts to do and the public in general then is to say, and so therefore it's no different than eye color or height or size of ears or anything, right? right? It, it carries within it no, no social meaning, no political meaning. We can ignore it and then problem goes away, right? And so we talked about cases like that before, like um, some of the classic redistricting cases where you know they break up a community so obviously to collect you know all of its African American voters into a certain area right. and then kind of break them up in small pieces into the rest of the area so that they get right. one voting district and then they get none of the other districts. Right. 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 And it seems so obvious when you look at it on paper. Sure. Sure. But then the court can look at it and say, well, race is just about skin color, right? So that's basically a biological or essentialist claim. Mm -hmm. race, race is basically just uh, about skin color. So it doesn't say they would want to vote for someone different or that they have different interests or it doesn't say anything about their economic background. You know, all the other, all the things that should play into political life and political decision-making aren't tied to eye color or ear size or height. So they don't need to be tied to color of skin, right? So, so then in that case, by making it biological, you can make it not count for anything. You can make it meaningless politically and socially, and, and especially with when it comes to, to, um, to remediation or any type of remedy, right? You can just right. excuse it out, out of hand. Right. So there's kind of a twin prong to that side of it, to it being biological. You can either argue then that creates some gradation or hierarchy, which you know traditional racists and modern racists do quite easily. Or two, you can say, no, 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 everyone's equal. But what it really means is that it's some inessential uh, biological quality of people that shouldn't matter and doesn't matter. Right. And so what people, not to belabor this too long, like uh, Neil Gotanda in his um, article, I think it's called on the, on the Constitution is Colorblind or something like that. But he's talking about the idea of constitutional colorblindness and how really there's no such thing because the first thing the court always does in order to not see race or to become colorblind is it proposes some definition of it. Mm. So it keeps redefining race over and over and over and over again in order to set it aside. And one of the ways it's done that is to reduce race to not a social construction, not a something with political, social um, meaning or historical context, but some natural entity that can therefore be set aside in these cases. And then alternatively, on the other hand, and I think this is where a lot of people go when they, when they say, oh yes, I believe race is socially constructed, and then immediately follow, it's really just ethnicity, right? right? We talked about, mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's, that's been then an alternative <laughs> course like in the uh, regions of University of California versus Bakke where you can say, well, white is not real. It's a construction. It's really just a bunch of other ethnicities, right? So now, now that you completely sap the situation of discrimination from all historical context, right? Mm -hmm. A long history of discrimination now is irrelevant because we're just talking about Italians versus Jews versus right. African Americans versus right. right. So you can completely wipe the floor of it. So what you end up with is that you end up with a biological explanation, even if it just means skin color or ancestry and doesn't mean all the weird stuff that a lot of people took it to mean in the past. Or you can say, actually, it's entirely a fiction, just reducible to ethnicity. And what both of those give you is a product that can be ignored, mm -hmm. where you don't have mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. live in the context of this nation, where you don't have to say, no, 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 there's meaning to discriminatory actions beyond just this individual case, given the history of our country and the meaning of race and how we understand race. And so the importance of the social construction of race is that yes, it's constructed, it's not natural, it's not an out there independent entity, but it was made like we talked about before 
for a purpose mm -hmm. with a history and right. includes a set of ideas. And those can't be ignored, whether it be in, in legal cases at the Supreme Court level or in our individual cases and in, in our relationships. Mm -hmm. a, lot, a lot is bound up in that. So, so in a sense, social construction of race is often to say, used to say, therefore it's a fiction or therefore it's meaningless. I think it means exactly the opposite. I think it's the only thing that takes account of what it actually means then to, to act racially or to have a racial component to an action. It's the only way to explain that. Mm -hmm. And as Gotanda explains in that same article is even the idea of how we've understood race traditionally and continue to, we don't look at most white people and say they're black because their skin's a little bit darker or they have a black ancestor. Do we? No. No, but we can look at very light-skinned Black people and say, yeah, they're Black, even though they may have three-quarters white ancestry, seven-eighths white ancestry, right? right? So, right. so there is a way that we think about race, uh, Gotanda is pointing out, where it's already we speak of one aspect of it as a pollutant. Now, we didn't get that from biological race. We didn't get that from reducing it to ethnicity. We got that because the very idea of race was constructed in a specific way that included that hierarchy. Yeah. Right? right. So, and so whenever that's brought up or when that uh, brought up in the courts or, or in, in any other place, it carries with it that meaning that, I mean, even that, even if we just wanted to get that narrow, the idea that almost like one race is a pollutant of the other race in, in how we categorize human beings. Right. That's something bound into the, the concept, the construction itself. It doesn't exist anywhere in the world. Right. It's meaningless outside of that. So we have to take that seriously in these conversations. And, and I think that that's one of the basic entry points for me logically into the system that we would call critical race theory. Hmm. It takes, it starts there. And, and I believe that becomes an explanation for a lot of the commonplaces for why critical race theory is happy to be race conscious because, you know, it wants to talk realistically about our history and our context, not just try to reduce it to something else so that it becomes manageable and then we can ignore the actual circumstances that we're in. Right. You know, I was, as you're, as you're describing that, you know, I was thinking too uh, um, about our friend um, Nathan Cartagena, mm -hmm. uh -huh. you know, and, and so you and I have, have really been kind of angling this conversation toward the more dominant displays um, because of Bell, Bell being a, a, a black uh, litigator. Mm -hmm. So most people's minds are framed in that critical race theory is, is a matter of, um, uh, black and hold on just a second, black yeah, and white, black and white binary. Mm -hmm. And, and what, um, I'll try to edit that out. My wife's trying to call me. I didn't notice. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, when, when, um, when he starts talking and you get his vantage point being a Puerto Rican mm -hmm. and then further describing that uh, even say Latin American or Mexican Hispanic, it has different nuances to the same thing. Immediately, we're not talking about something that is an exclusive callback to uh, a singular era in right. United States history. We're actually issuing a callback to its ongoing history from the get, from the beginning. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a place that becomes troublesome for many because we have this mythos of uh, a, a country forging its independence from the uh, uh, circumstances of heavy taxation, uh, lack of uh, ascendancy to property ownership, and those sorts of things. And so we've bought that narrative without the accompanying things that produce the opportunity for you know, uh, less than landed gentry to have land in a, in a new country. So now right. we, we Native Americans and we could go down the list. And I only want to point that out to say that while when we move to start talking about commonplaces, people need to start locating these are are wide. Right. It's, it's not just 
in the locus of the 1619 project, for instance. It's not just the locus of talking about the development of chattel slavery worldwide right. and then particularly in the United States. Yeah. This happens to be a thing, right? I mean, this happens to be a way right. to describe what's happened. So when when uh, critics want to say, well, see, I've seen several tweets where um, uh, black men have said, we didn't need CRT to know what's been going on here. They're absolutely right. And that's really our point, right? That's yours and my point. The point is not that they need to see what's been happening to them, but right. in order for us to see what's been happening to them, we need to know how it has been happening. Yeah, Fair? I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then in terms of, you know, going back to that starting point is that, that we see that, uh, and I know Nathan would point this out, is that, that we should understand also all of this racial construction in contrast to the construction of whiteness, right? Because mm -hmm. that, that, that's a major predecessor to all these movements, right. is sort of a collective European identity right. that justifies colonialism worldwide. Right. And so... When you come into uh, the American colonies and then ultimately the United States, right? Um, you have races being constructed differently. Cause like when we say race is a social construction, we're not saying the black race or the white race or some specific, just, just the very idea of, of carving up humanity for some certain purpose around uh, ancestry and morphology generally. Now, some people will bucket including morphology, but think of morphology not as some fixed category, but it's mutable, it changes over time, mm -hmm. what, mm -hmm. what things you want to identify in order right. to classify people in a certain way. And it right. has changed legally and otherwise all throughout right. history. So it continues to morph. But going back to that early period, you see plainly that, that uh, descendants from Africa and the, the Native Americans, the people already here in their civilizations, were racialized differently, even at that time, because there was different purpose in mind, right? So that those they were exploiting from Africa were racialized in such a way that, oh, they were good laborers and they were, you know, uh, in need of, of father figure masters and, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. for their own well-being, right? Mm -hmm. So there's this whole uh, mythology that develops around the idea of an African descendant which also is perfectly matches what you want to exploit them for, obviously, sure. <laughs> that's sure. why it's created. The Native Americans, that was tried for a while and then rejected, and then you have a whole new set of, uh, of tropes and stereotypes that relate to Native Americans according with their purpose. And so it's interesting because, I don't know if this is a tangent or not, just the other day someone was bringing up like, how can we ignore you know, the genocide of Native Americans, uh, and we do quite a bit. And I think part of that is how they were racialized as opposed to how white people were racialized as opposed to how African Americans were ultimately racialized because the goal was to just move them, isolate them, separate them, right? Keep them out of, out of uh, ordinary quote unquote American life, right. um, which is evil. Yeah. obviously and, yeah. and we've seen it happen but when you but the african descendants obviously were supposed to be incorporated in every detail of daily life as labor source right, right? right. so you kind of develop a, a, a racist anti-racist tradition that is kind of bin binary it, mm -hmm. it operates mm -hmm. on a black white divide and i think a lot of that's just because of the the close proximity, like the direct exploitation involved with um, African-Americans. Right, right. And yeah, I don't want to minimize that. I wasn't trying yeah. to minimize that that part of our history. No, I'm totally yeah. just yeah. agreeing with you. Yeah, that's yeah. All. yeah. And, then, and then we see the same developed. I think we talked about this before in uh, America or United States relation with Mexico. Mm -hmm. Another yes. republic, you know, very similar to our own government yes. at the time. And then when we, uh, the elite decide we need more land, we need to grow more cotton, then now there are a bunch of barbarians and right. 
we start to talk about what we used to talk about as there was black, you know, Negroes in Mexico, there was right. white people in Mexico, there right. were Spanish people in Mexico. Now they're just Mexicans, right. right? Pretty soon, who all share this some characteristic that justifies our ex exploitation of them. Then once we get California and all that land, then you start to see talk of like, well, the, the Mexican is very uh, docile and childlike and but a good laborer you know as long as you treat him okay then he'll take right. care of your property you know so now right. we got a different character ascribed to them because you know now they're serving a different purpose and a different right. function and so i think what you kicked off and what we're describing right now is just differential racialization yes which is a commonplace of critical race theory right right so if Absolutely. race is constructed socially right. for a purpose then as times changes, as purposes change, right, the why uh, it's being constructed, um, the groups, you know, engaged in power struggles are determining um, um, different boundaries, right, different, different, uh, different sets of ideas that, that contain the group of people that you want to contain. Um, and then, of course, you're reacting to different groups in different ways, especially Japanese and Cal uh, Chinese and California has a very different history here than even in other states, right? right? So there is a differentiation on how races are have been created. And then this becomes, I think, supremely important too when people want to make comparisons and they say something like, well, um, why are Asians doing so well in the United States, right? As opposed to yada, yada. Um, claims like that, not to go all the way into what's wrong with that because there's a ton of things wrong with that. Right. But one right. thing just sitting right on the top, right on the surface is that we've taken the racialization and exploitation of African descendants to be the metric of racism right. in that binary that we're talking about. And so anything that doesn't fit, fit with that form of racialization and the effects of it then is considered not racist. Mm -hmm. But there are other ways to racialize groups and to exploit them for different purposes. And it may even mean they make more money. Right, right. You know? <laughs> right, right. Um, so, and I, so I think that, that a common place of CRT like that is, is a no-brainer once you understand the idea of the social construction of race as opposed to the alternatives. You agree with that? Oh, I do. I, <laughs> I, I absolutely do. And I, and I think that, that um, it, it, it should provide rather than, well, maybe I should say it this way. When you get a, a visceral response to kind of that description, it, it is really kind of, uh, a decentering idea such that I'm trying to figure out, no, because I, I think the resistance sometimes is I can't possibly think there's any way I participated in any, in anything like that. Right. And, but, but okay. because it's gone, but because it's gone, uh, the way, the way you've shown us how these commonplaces intersect and that, that really, um, while we're asserting, you're asserting that, and I agree that, that, race is uh, a social construction, any form of using it as a demarcation then is a tool, a commonplace tool to subordinate another group. So, so I, I think the idea for me, for instance, in that resistance was to go, well, if I follow that logic, then that means you know, I've participated. And, and I think that's, I think that's a common place where it, it's also met with quite a bit of resistance. So you're pointing out how kind of it's easy to see in the variety of ways race as a social construct can be employed actually against people who could make more money, who could ascend the ladder, who could all the anecdotal things that you and I hear others hear that say, well, this ought to prove that race is not an issue. Right. Yeah. But, it, but in reality, because because we we're we're just deflecting at that point. We're, we're right. not really we're not really yeah. grappling with what this means as a tool of subordination. Is that? Yeah, I think so. But and I think that if we center that a little bit um, around the idea of whiteness, obviously, mm -hmm. which yes. is a controversial phrase, and I wish I could think of another one 
they could easily replace it just yeah, but 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 no say so wait well, let, i mean i agree i agree with you because but but think about why uh why it is such a um incendiary description i mean yeah so in, in the in the ongoing attempts to create our own identities mm -hmm. which is a thing now you know um and self-identification. Right. Um, we are constructing ourselves socially. So yeah. it shouldn't it shouldn't be that hard to recognize that over time a particular group of people who have been the dominant group have developed certain qualities and characteristics that are identifiable as whiteness. Right. I I agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So well, yeah. I just don't want little listeners off the hook to thinking that. Oh yeah, you know. See, that's a problematic term. People are right. using it, and what? Well, I'm offended by that. Well, wait, wait a minute. You're not offended if you identify as a um, a rabid uh, Texas Rangers fan, but you are a Philadelphia Eagle football fan, and you happen right. to right. live in North Dallas rather than Oak Cliff, and so you start identifying. And now, when you're presenting yourself, and and like social media is like the the I mean, a prime example, uh, you know, you, you can let me know all the good things about you without letting me in on all the bad things <laughs> that might be exist. So right. I'm, I'm, I'm projecting this social, socially constructed identity. It's right. the same thing. It's just been a habituated pattern over a couple of centuries that it's been instantiated. This is what, well, longer than that, because we go back to European uh, models, but that right. is what creates that. So, you know, at the one and the same time we resist it, it's true. It's, yeah. it's yeah. just real. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the unavoidable part is we spent as a nation and especially the Supreme court and lower courts decades in the 20th century, right. applying whiteness, deciding who qualified and who didn't. Right. Right. By law. Right. And we just right. can't accept, escape that. That's the words. Right. right? Was the word come yeah. and prove that you're white, that you yes. have that property whiteness? Yes. And then I think, as Cheryl Harris popularly pointed out in her uh, "Whiteness as Property" article, is that we've also accorded essentially the full range of property rights to whiteness mm -hmm. to protect it, to make sure. sure it's secured, that others don't have access to it, that right. we can enjoy its benefits, that we can trade upon it, right? Absolutely. I think, I think she pretty successfully uh, makes that case. So, um, so when we look at racialization in general and differential racialization, I think it's important to sort of understand that uh, in many cases it's in contrast to whiteness, right? Right. Right. The, Absolutely. The, the constructed Absolutely. white identity. So that white supremacy, whether you know people like to say it out loud or not, is is really what's being enforced through the differential racialization. Yes. If that makes sense. I don't know if that was clear or not, but <laughs> yeah. what I'm trying to get at there. Yeah. yeah. So um, so I guess I just say that to point out, so it's not like just a sea of a lot of different identities and every group is floating in it at the same level. No, right. it's always right. been a hierarchical All construction. Yes. Right? And that can change, it's just, how it is that's how it's been right. first act of the first congress of the united states of america who can be a citizen right. a white male right? right i mean that's right that's right. a point of history that just can't escape can't pretend that it, it doesn't exist no right um and then if we moved on right the next commonplace at least how i like to write them out <laughs> would be uh the idea of intersectionality mm -hmm. right so not only in history were races being constructed for specific purposes, but because of the purposes um, for which it was constructed, different genders also were racialized differently. And I think that's one thing that people are completely missing about the idea of intersectionality is it's not, it's not a layering effect, right? It keeps being presented as though um, you're this racialized minority, that's one point against you. And you're a female, and so that's another point against you. 
and and then maybe you're um, a lesbian, so that's another point against you, or maybe you're um, you're Muslim, and that's another point. So now you have a stacking negative point system, right? That has like almost nothing to do with it at all, as far as I understand it. Right. I mean, as it, even as it was originally presented by Crenshaw, it had to do with uh, uh, Title VII suits. So you could go to a company, if you say you were a black woman and you were discriminated against, the, the company could literally say, oh no, look at all these black men we employ and look mm -hmm. at all these white women we employ. And the conversation's over. Right. Because they don't discriminate against black people or women. Right. Right. So the idea of an intersection legally acknowledged between different subordinated identities is the whole point of it. Because you can't, you don't have a case until laws like that are changed, specifically right. at that intersection. Right. And so the idea of intersectionality all along has been, as uh, Hill Collins calls it, um, that identities are, uh, these group identities are mutually constructing. Right? That's All the right. point. So you didn't slap an oppression on top of an oppression. Rather, the, the idea of womanhood is constructed differently for a white woman, right? Mm. Than a black woman, or Absolutely. for example, or, or, or the idea of manhood in the same way. Or like uh, Ian Haney Lopez talks about in his article on social construction of race, how uh, that process of racializing uh, Mexico and, and, and Mexican natives was totally different, whether it was a man or whether it was a woman, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. the woman became like a powerful, sexualized Spanish object. You know, she was always right. Spanish somehow, even right. though her husband was Mexican, you know, right. those kind of games. Right. Um, so you see, in that process, it's not just a matter of well, you got the Mexican point against you and you got the woman point against you. No, it's the very idea of womanhood is constructed different, right? And, and when constructing the race and then vice versa, the racial characteristics are also different, are differently constructed depending on the gender of, right. of the group, right? The people within the group that are being constructed. So once again, the idea that there is a history of the construction of race and there is a purpose to that construction and it does embed meanings, right? Hmm. Implies also that people of different classes, uh, different gender, right? Even different orientations, obviously that the way race, racial qualities, quote unquote, are attributed to them will be different based upon those other categories as well, because they're, if you're exploiting a people group for labor, you're going to treat the women different than the men. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And those racial characteristics are gonna be different how you apply them to each of them. Right. You're exploiting women to be basically breeders through your rape, mm -hmm. right? Then mm -hmm. you're not gonna racialize them in the same manner that you racialize right. somebody who's gonna be driving your oxen, right? Right, right. That makes sense. No, yeah. So I, and I, I, don't, and I, I don't think you can separate that once again from the social construction of race. No, and, and I think I think uh, that's two things come to mind. One, that is immediately the further resistance to critical race theory is the piggyback of intersectionality, where now the resistance is to the way that gets framed. Uh, there's a resolution, for instance, uh, that, that we've discussed. And I think there's a line, I'm, I'm going from memory, so, folks, if you go out and read it, and I'm, I'm an error, email me, let me know, and I'll correct it. But if I recall correctly, there's a line that says, and we came to know this through feminism. So the way that we came to know how um, critical race theory was going to play out was as it, as, as it became applied to the subordination of women that was resisted by feminism. That's one thing came to mind, and, and which I think is, to me, I think is a, is a uh, uh, I'll put it nicely. I just think that's one, a misunderstanding. If it's intentional, uh, I think it's an obfuscation. The, the second thing that came to mind was if if you have followed any, uh, like, um, I, I'm uh, 
theological developments, that is, uh, uh, the, the ongoing voice developments of both women and black women. And so you've got, you've got um, uh, womanist theology, and then you've got black womanist theology. And so I've done a podcast with, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember her first name, Buchanan, um, and, you know, makes, goes back through the history, history, goes back through the intellectual history and demonstrates just what you're describing. So if someone's out there trying to go, well, you know, I, I don't know that I want to read these essays. I don't know that, you know, there are ways to access what uh, Brad has described. If you're a pastor and you're kind of concerned and you're wondering how these things kind of get put together, sometimes pastors in the a register of your normal reading and studying to come across those ideas and how they're applied in the interpretation of scripture, in the handling of right. particular narratives in the Old Testament when it comes to women. Uh, mm -hmm. These are really helpful ways to access what's being described here. If, you know, legal uh, case uh, uh, law is, is, you know, a little boring to you. Uh, and, and so just, just a, an offer at that point, at, at, while we're paused here a second, to say that there are ways to access how this has uh, developed. And then, and then even, uh, even our friend that we were talking about earlier, um, uh, I don't, I, yeah. Uh, so recently Renee Padilla died. Oh. And, and so Nathan has been going back and writing some pieces, uh, essays on Padilla, both in um, Mexican or Spanish and in English. Mm -hmm. And you go read some of the, those sort of um, missiological pieces and you're, you're seeing how that gets played out. So if you happen to be a pastor who thinks, man, I'm, you know, I'm mission-minded. I'm, I'm a, I like to classify myself as a, as a hack missiologist, you know, these are places where you're going to make the same discoveries that, that Brad's describing that Bell and others have made as they looked at case law related to the subordination of other people in our country. So I don't want you to think that this is, you got to exclusively become a legal expert. The, these things have actually been fleshed out theologically and practically by writers who've said, hey, wait a minute, we've actually read this story w without taking into account the way this has actually worked. Now, I think Nathan would probably disagree at the point of um, uh, what we're talking about contingently related to race today may not have been exactly a one-to-one -one corollary uh, in, say, uh, Hebrew scriptures, but the, the principal effect is similar. So right. just yeah. thought I'd throw a couple of those places in, since we're talking common places. I, you know, I, I, I interact with these, uh, you know, f f uh, pastors and, 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 and such, and you know, they've got this idea that they've got from somewhere and, and can't see how these things mesh and fit. Right. And, yeah. and uh, so those are just a couple of places that came to mind. Yeah. And I think increasingly we're just plain going to have to do that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly. No, it, that's no exactly right. It. That's exactly right. Just, just yeah. have to. Um, I mean, even just listening to, uh, or I was reading uh, Black Feminist Thought, by Patricia Hill Collins recently. Mm -hmm. I had never read that, so mm -hmm. I'm reading through there. And um, her pointing out, you know, just what should be very obvious things that like what we take as as a family, right? Right. right. Well, if you, you know, in certain areas, certain cultures, certain um, um, economic categories, class systems, right? You, you can't just always be generalizing your own right. understanding. And then, so my immediate thought is, whoa, 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 what about in the Bible? Well, yeah, you, you know, you see some, some general principles, but, but you can't like systematically be talking about single motherhood as though it is, you know, completely aberrant and anything that goes wrong from that is right. their own fault. And you know right. what I mean? It's, right. That's right. just an insane way to talk. Right. Like, right. And, I, and I think that that more and more we're, we're going to have to not have just, if, especially when it comes to missions, as you point out, and I don't mean missions abroad, I mean right. missions here. Right. Um, we can't just be carrying in, you know, our white male dominant ideologies, middle right. class, 
you know, wow. our idea of a family, which is often even absurd because we're just pretending that structure. Yeah. We're, we're not honest <laughs> about our own. That's the, I mean, that's, exactly. yeah, yeah, exactly. We, we've yeah. idealized and idolized this particular singularity and it's, it's just right. not true. Yep. And I think that if we're going to leap forward, maybe even a, another commonplace yeah. would be um, the unique voice of color, mm. right? Um, so standpoint epistemology or standpoint theory. And I think that that directly relates to what you were just talking about. I think that's actually what you were mm. talking about. Um, but once again, I think there's a lot of disinformation surrounding that as well. I mean, we constantly hear that somehow um, having a unique standpoint as a, a racialized minority or, you know, a non-male or, you know, other categories gives you some uh, special insights or, or gives you a greater grasp on truth or even as far as to say that a white male can't know truth, only, you know, right. a minority as female can know, know truth, right? right. Oh, which is all just completely false. I think right. the, the idea is, is so pedestrian to me that I'm surprised that we're arguing about it. Like we all know that there are a million different things that affect our ability to, to perceive objective reality, to grasp specific truths. Doesn't mean there isn't an objective reality. Right. Doesn't right. mean there is no objective truth. It's just, it's about epistemology is about my ability to know that. Mm -hmm. And we all know that there are millions of things that make that more or less difficult to each of us as individuals. Absolutely. For whatever reason, what we won't allow is for race or gender or class to be one of those things, right? Right. So um, maybe, oh, I grew up a certain way or I had... Um, trying to think of specific examples that people are perfectly okay with, like, oh, I didn't have a father, so I didn't know about that. So when I read these right. passages, that doesn't just like pop right. into my mind. Or right. I never worked on a farm, so right. I didn't understand, or I've never sown or reaped, you know. Right. You right. know all these things. Somebody right. who has tells you, and then right. you understand. We right. get that concept. It's really easy, <laughs> exactly easy right. to grasp. But if someone, sa someone says, well, given that I'm not a woman, I've never like experienced my environment as a woman would. Now everyone's skeptical. Wait right. a minute. What are you, some sort of relativist? You don't believe right. in truth or like, right. how did we get right. there? Right. And then, and then most of these polemics come from pulling one sentence out of context that sounds the scariest to imply that someone's denying objective truth. Exactly. Never, never the full context, never explaining what's mm -hmm. actually being said. Um, again, in that same book, uh, Patricia O'Collins, uh, Black Feminist Thought, she's super clear there that, that she says, oh, that's a Marxist idea to think that oppressions build up and then now you have a better standpoint. We right. don't believe that. We all reject that. Right. She says that outright. Right. She's, the whole point is, is that, that, uh, his, um, Latina Americans, um, Black Americans, White Americans, you know, the whole gamut. Everybody needs to be involved in this knowledge project because everyone has unique perspectives, right. right? We're better grasping the truth if we do all of this together, right? And so one person who, uh, uh, due to intersectionality, would be said to uh, intersect at different points than someone else, there's not a relationship of one being able to know in general, better than the other one, knowing in general, which right. is that each have, you know, unique access to specific um, understandings that need to be shared in common in order to arrive at a greater understanding of objective truth. That's right. Right. That's right. That's right. And then, I mean, if we want to trace this back, this, this to me, standpoint epistemology or standpoint theory in general is a direct offshoot of the idea of intersectionality, which if explained correctly, is a necessary corollary of the social construction of race. Right. In my opinion. I don't, I don't, once again, I think this is a larger package. We, we can discuss the details of it, what it means, how it affects, you know, the degree to which um, epistemic relevance is present based upon identity, right? There's degrees involved. Mm -hmm. We can 
disagree, debate about all of that. Someone could say, I don't think it matters that much because of X, Y, and Z. Someone else could say, I think it's central. There's no way you're going to ever understand X because of this, you know, your social location, mm-hmm. right? That's a debate worth having. Sure. But whether it's true, right? Whether right. it's a reality we have to deal with or not, doesn't seem like up for debate no. to me, right? Unless yeah. we're going to go back to a biological conception of race or something of that sort and start there. Right. And may, maybe maybe you can point out, like, um, can you bridge that for us? So, for instance, you use the use the description uh, essentialist earlier. So, mm-hmm. so uh, and and you you gave you know you gave it a definition that hopefully people can you know grasp. But it's really a reductionism. Uh, this this is the essentially all that you can talk about. It's it, it's a reduction. And and well, that, in this case, yeah, it's it meaning it it is on its own, right? In a sense, right? right? It's not. So, so, um, so a Marxist would say uh, they're class essentialists, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So everything else hinges upon class, right? Or economics or, or the mode of production, right? That complex of ideas then is, uh, that's essential. That mm-hmm. just is. Right. Everything else around it is constructed in relation to that, yep. right? So... Mm-hmm. So what we're saying is race isn't that. Right. It's a product of all those things around it. Right. As well. Right. Yeah. That's why it's not essential. Yep. Yeah. So when when uh, um, uh, when we uh, see how you've laid out kind of this package, you call this whole package. Um, it, it seems to me that in the debates. Um, they, they really center on, uh, a dis, uh, um, a pulling apart of the pieces, as you said, I take a little bit here out, or I'll take a little bit here out and I'll, I'll, I'll seize on that as right. whatever, whatever. Maybe make it, it a whole world. Ex- exactly. Yeah. Um, so, um, how, how do you help someone, um, grapple with the package when um, I think the way I want to say it is when uh, you discover that there are derivative implications. And, and so when, when what you see being debated or discussed is really a derivative implication, mm-hmm. How do you how do you help someone kind of return kind of redirect? Um, I don't I don't have the specific. I just see that happening, and I'm still thinking about uh, Cartagena's three different ways critical race theory is used. And uh, in listening to that interview with uh, Tebby, you know, he says um, you've got this definition, and you two in your chop series gave definitions, and then and then he, he's talking about, and then there are derivatives. So people yeah. grab it, and then now they're utilizing it, maybe in employing it in a way, uh, either one that they want to, right, in support of a thing, or they're using it in as a way to try to defeat the whole package, right, yeah. So do you have any way that's helpful? It's difficult um, because like when you're saying the derivative sense is like CRT and education, right? Mm-hmm. Right, right. Like a careful scholar and CRT and education, for example, they're explicit about what they're doing and they know what they're doing, right? Right. Um, and, you know, like um, coming out in our next CHOP session, we kind of mentioned this a little bit. So a CRT right. and education, um, author will say something like, now I've, CRT is this thing, and here are some components of it that are useful for education. Right. Right? right. Okay, so that's what I think Cardini is pointing to Said about traveling theory, right? So that's what's just happened, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. CRT now proper has traveled into other disciplines mm-hmm. and become useful and, you know, obviously should and could and right. if it works and it's helpful. But the people doing that are generally explicit about it. Right. Right. So now you've moved here and say you've got four tenants that that um, that now have traveled for the purpose of applying to education. 
Now then you have another, a third party who then goes and says, well, what is critical race theory? Oh, it's these four things. Mm, gotcha. Okay. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. now I don't know if this is Saeed's traveling or if this is Carbato's worry about, well, what happens when it <laughs> travels, you know? Right, right. How does it get redeployed? Is it getting right. redeployed in a positive light hmm. or not? So I think a lot of what we're getting is, is that, that third one, which often becomes the, the culture war. Right. Um, uh, culture war is way worse, but. Yeah, yeah, say, yeah, yeah. But it leads there, though. And, and, and yeah. because that's really what we're talking about, because the, the, the it, you know, when it's seized upon by 45 and when it's seized upon by uh, state legislatures in Oklahoma, Tennessee and Texas, so to name a few, when it's seized on it's that's the level at which it's seized. That ladder. It, it, it's seized that on that third level. That yeah, it's, it, it, exactly. And yeah. and so, and so, um, so the point of you're pointing about is walking it back to that core. Yeah, and yeah. So because think, because because if you're not careful, if the thing gets trapped in that third layer, mm -hmm. that third that third step, that third traveling. Yeah. Then. And all that happens in the debate there is we still leave the status quo the same because we're not really dealing with the issues. It's a right. to me, it's a it's a retrenchment move it, or, or, oh, or, it's a, or, or it's a or it's a sub subversion of the point. Mm -hmm. Is that yeah. so? Well, so it has been. I mean, because it's become it's be, become a system of legitimation in and of itself. Right. Yeah. Yes. Because, because now you can do something like. The problems that were originally pointed out in the failure of the civil rights legislation, right? right? Now you can point out those problems and you can see how it didn't actually help people. You can start to explain why. Then that travels three degrees mm -hmm. to now it's being something like, um, so what they're saying is, is that it's okay to discriminate if it's done for the right reason, mm -hmm. you know, and it's completely right. separated from historical context, everything right. like that. And then you say, well, that in itself is racist, right? Right, And that violates the, the principles of the civil rights movement itself. So it's like, walked this whole distance, right. been abstracted, morphed a little bit, right? And then mm -hmm. it actually becomes a tool to maintain what was going on that was the original problem trying to be addressed. Exactly. And that's where I wanted you to, uh, I, I, that's what I wanted you to describe and you did. So great job, because that really, to me, for... Uh, what's happening in my own denomination, for instance, mm -hmm. uh, what's happening in politics in my state, that's really the point at which it happens. So now, unbeknownst to everybody, we can redistrict. Right. Because we're not having to deal with this because we are talking about this thing three degrees over and we've got everybody so afraid that that we're all going to yeah. crumble at the at the feet of CRT. Yeah. And these poor children's uh, entire self-esteem is going to get crushed to learn that their forebears were, you know, racist subordinators. Yeah. Uh, and so we can't and talk about that. Guilty for it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and, yeah. and 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 yet. And so while over here we're debating this and passing House Bill 1775, we're yeah. over here with a re redistricting that I haven't seen it all yet, but but is likely going to just continue doing what's been happening all over the country, yeah. which we technically call gerrymandering. So, um, yeah, or all the all the voting stuff, the the whole right. case, um, right? You know, unbelievable that, that all these justices together would say there is not really a need for the civil rights protections anymore. You know, right. that's pretty much the past. Like the right. Supreme Court is making that argument, like, right? Unbelievable, right. Roberts. Right. Well, that wasn't long ago. Five right. years ago, something like that. Right. 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 That's so, that's where the that's where the fighting should be. That's yes. where rage should be. That's where the yes. battle should be. But like you said, it, it's over. It's over whether there's they're putting condoms on cucumbers at school. Right. 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 Exactly. Exact, yeah. Same exact move. Yeah. As yeah. far as I can tell. Yeah. And and then how we deal with that, I'm not entirely sure. I know one thing that Nathan and I are trying to do in in our current series is try to drive a wedge between those <laughs> those out there explanations i mean even right now we're working on kendy and, and d'angelo i saw that mm -hmm. so how you know we're not out to trash them but to just 
say what they're actually doing and what they're not doing and what they are representative of and what they aren't representative. So we can try to have that fight. I don't know how successful it could be, but it may be that ultimately, uh, I think of Otto Neurath, the philosopher, explaining, you know, how to um, how to how to do epistemology, right, or mm-hmm. or fix basic things like that as being on a ship with holes in it, right? Right. You can't right. just rebuild it on the middle of the water. You're going to have to just start Dock it. replacing one plank at a time and patching it in. And that may be the case. That maybe we have to slow down and, and I don't even know if it's possible, but try right. to have that argument if they bring that up you know i think that's one of my problems in social media is that i'm 100 miles an hour and i don't really want to like talk about that point right Um, yeah which maybe maybe that's just what has to be done you know because i've noticed even when you get that that third third tier or culture war explanation usually includes something that if you just spend a minute and you go back to the source, it's easy right. to explain almost every time. Oh. Just are, are you willing to do that? Is that going to be a long-term effective method? Um, I don't know. Personally. Yeah. 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 I, I don't either, but I, I, I still think that it's worth um, at least thinking about how to do that because otherwise yeah. we never learn the discipline of uh, keeping your eye on both hands instead of just one. Right. You know, and, and yeah. be, because, you know, look what I'm doing over here while I can't see what, you know, can't see what's being done over here with this hand. And, and, yeah. and, and, I, and, I, and, and the realities are that's how structures absorb uh, these uh, momentary blips in their just, you know, ongoing yeah. trajectory to keep, keep things intact. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so yeah. I think, well, I think that's preserved, a, right. Sure. 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 Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, exactly. you know, that like, like they always say the same people who, who uh, at the institutional level implemented literal segregation, right. Mm-hmm. 10 years later, we're still working there and we're employing uh, a merit-based system. Right. Right. The same right. people. Okay. Right. Just right. 10 years later, but now because we don't segregate, quote unquote, then whatever the outcome is has to be accepted as legitimate. Right? Yeah, that's right. So that that's right. Mean the structure created was evil. It's just the structure was a good preserver. <laughs> right. Of what had been intentionally set up to begin with. Yeah. 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 Not to go off point, but <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. Well, that might be a good place to uh, bring this session and and then we can pick yeah. up and set, um, you know, kind of what's next, because I think at some point, you know, as we've as we've teased things out, I want us to get to the place too where where we can talk a little bit. OK, so like what, what are some good employable ways? So if we've got any more common places to kind of interject next time, uh, yeah. then shift kind of our attention to say, OK, now, um, rather than battle these third tier uh, or third degrees off moves, yeah. what can we say positively about that? Because the truth is, is, you know, I submitted a resolution to our denomination and I'm just simply trying to suggest that where there are things we can learn, let's learn them. Mm-hmm. And if there are things that we're being exposed to that we didn't know, and we weren't going to know any other way, then let's, let's accept that. Right. And, and as at this point, in our conversations, in what I've read, listening to Nathan, I'm no expert by any stretch. I'm still yet not seeing how this isn't a, a good way to learn what we didn't know. Right. And 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 then from there, make our decisions if we're gonna if we're gonna make our if we're gonna you know assert that uh, Christian have a response to that, then, then let's do that. But heretofore, all it seems that the Christian responses are, no, we like things the way they are. We want them to stay the same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why we're fighting so hard against this. Yeah. And, and, I, and I, I think at some point, there's got to be some ways that when we start talking about its value and use, then we can peel some of those things up and say, well, so do you really think like that? And I think, frankly, most are going to be very surprised. I think, I think they're going to come to the place and go, well, I didn't realize that that like one, I didn't realize it was going on to that degree. And I didn't realize the ways in which I was closing my eyes to it. Now that's, that's just me. I'm hope maybe I'm the, 
Maybe I'm the optimist here at this. Yeah. I don't know. But... Yeah, that is optimistic. Yeah, I under I understand. I I I own I own the weights that I bear upon myself. Yeah, well, let's do it. Nevertheless. Uh, uh, all right. Yeah. Well, That's folks, when I... we'll talk about racial realism from Bell. Oh, good, good, yeah. good, 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 good. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Well, okay. folks, I, I hope that you have uh, been keeping up with this. Um, and maybe uh, if you're kind of new on this episode, go back and catch our, our prior episodes. Uh, been trying to link them in the post so you can go back if you've missed anything. Easiest way is subscribe to the podcast. Let them just drop right in there and go back and pick them up. So uh, until next time, uh, Brett, always good to see you. Yeah, good to see you. Thank you. As always, I want to thank you for listening to Pathological and remind you that there are ways you can help us with the podcast. That is, uh, if you are finding it helpful, particularly these conversations, well, feel free to share the podcast, share it on your favorite social media channel or app, or all of them for that matter. And if you've yet to run over and leave us a review and a rating on in the iTunes store, well, log in and do that. You know, five stars, five friends, as my friend uh, Ryan Abernathy used to say. We take all those five stars, five, strand, five friends, and share the podcast. If you've yet to subscribe, you can subscribe to uh, the Pathological uh, a newsletter. That is just really a reminder of, of podcast uh, episodes and blog posts that have come out. Uh, and, of course, you can subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcatcher. I find it uh, really a, an easy way to share with, with uh, friends in my text group, uh, email it uh, in, in, in uh, Facebook Messenger. So um, always appreciative to you who are listening and uh, it, your uh, help uh, provides opportunities for us to be heard and found by those who uh, be, might benefit. So thanks again. And until next time, peace. Peace.